welcome to Hillcrest Chapel Audio. We hope today's message will help you grow. Now, transition, I get to invite up the speaker for this morning. And this morning we get to hear from Lynn Gill. Lynn and her family have been part of Hillcrest for four years now? Uh, three. Three years now? Lynn is, um, she's at the national level. She's a vice president for InterVarsity, uh, kind of supervising the Western United States. And uh, thank you for doing that. Um, Lynn is, I would say, sneaky smart. She's doing this like vice president of InterVarsity. And then, oh, by the way, she has a PhD in chemistry kind of in the back pocket. Like, you're sneaky smart, Lynn. Let's be honest. Yeah. And um, her, her, her son and daughter, James and Julie, they run sound for us, sometimes with the help of her husband, David. And uh, yeah, so thank you for sharing this morning. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. So when I was asked um, to consider preaching this summer, I got excited because I love helping people to enter into God's word. Um, it's also one of the reasons why David and I are a small group leader here at Hillcrest. Um, and it's why I work for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. Um, InterVarsity is like CCF, and we invite people into studying God's Word. And I became a Christian through a small group Bible study my junior year in college. And it was the invitation of a friend, my friend Nora. She was persistent. She kept inviting me. I didn't want to go. I finally said yes. And what I discovered was 14 people studying the book of 1 John. And the First John is a book about God's love. And ultimately, though, what drew me to Christ was that they were living out this love. And I had experienced nothing like that. Um, the power of the gospel comes not just from hearing the word, but it's when we respond to it. And like the parables that we've been studying this summer, Jesus tells parables not just as another story, but in a way that requires a response. Jesus uses the parable to call people to a decision. They force us to make a choice. And today's parable is about God's abundant provision and the choice that we have between greed and generosity. So we're going to be looking at the parable of the rich fool beginning in Luke 12, 13. So if you want to turn in your Bibles there now, Luke's found in the last quarter um, of your Bible. And I'm actually going to start at the beginning um, in 12.1, just to set the stage for us. So meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak, first to his disciples, saying, So what we see here is this is not an intimate gathering of the 12. But instead, the 12 are present, and they're in the midst of a massive crowd of people who have gathered to hear Jesus. The crowd is pushing and shoving, trying to get close enough to hear. So now if we jump down to verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, why is a man in the crowd asking Jesus to enter into an inheritance dispute? Well, it actually was common to ask rabbis to resolve civil disputes. Um, 
so this was at the peak of Jesus's ministry. He had fed the 5,000. He had healed a centurion slave. He had raised from the dead a synagogue leader's daughter. And so because of these things, he was well known in the community. And so he would have been seen as one who has authority and then could arbitrate. But Jesus doesn't enter into this inheritance dispute. And as we'll see now, he answers with a question and then he addresses the crowd. Man, who appointed me to be judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Jesus doesn't hear a desire for justice in this man's request. Maybe he knew the situation, um, but his use of the word man to respond is an indication of displeasure. Jesus has made it clear that this story, the parable we're going to focus on today, will, about, will be about choosing between greed and generosity. So let's start in verse 16. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This parable is a picture of God's abundant generosity and one man's refusal to see that. So we're going to go back through and look a little bit more carefully. And there's some important information that we can gain just from the first sentence. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. So the man was rich before the harvest. The man had plenty. The ground yielded an abundant harvest. As many of those in agriculture know, abundant harvests come as a gift from God. It takes work on the part of the farmer, but there's a lot they can't control. The weather is, has to be not too hot or too cold. Um, there has to be enough rain, but not too much rain and at the right time. Ultimately, harvests are a gift from God. And so the question the man should be asking is, what should I do with this gift? God's abundance is evident throughout Scripture. Beginning in Genesis 1, with his creation, in his creation, we see the universe is filled... God... Sorry, let me start that again. Um, with the creation of the universe, God fills the sky with stars, the seas with fish, and the earth with amazing varieties of plants and animals. God also provides for the needs of the Israelites as they're wandering in the de- wilderness. Each morning, he gives them new manna for that day. And in Psalm 104, 14 and 15, we read, He makes the grass grow for the cattle and plants for people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, wine that gladdens human hearts, oil to make their faces shine, and bread that sustains their hearts. Jesus' listeners would have known this, and they knew that the rich man should know this. As someone who's spent 18 years in campus ministry working for a parachurch organization that requires their staff to raise support, 
I've seen God provide year after year the resources needed to bring the good news of the gospel um, to students and faculty across the United States. Whether it was through financial resources from a ministry partner, staff and student leaders to serve on campus, or an encouraging word when I was tempted to give up, God's generosity and abundance was evidence. When I was the regional director um, for, this is the geography that I, as regional director, it's also my current um, VP area that I'm covering. Um, It's Montana to New Mexico and everything west. And when I started, there were just three staff serving the 600,000 graduate students and faculty in that territory. But over the next five years, God grew the staff team to over 24 staff and volunteers. This is a portion of that team. He brought people from Malaysia, Michigan, Texas, and across the West to serve. He called pastors, chemists, I wasn't the only one, lawyers, and evangelists to serve. God provided abundantly. So if we return to the parable, in this story we see that the rich man's harvest is so abundant, the man doesn't have room to store all of his crops. The harvest has produced more than he can use. So what's he going to do? If we look at the passage, it says, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I will say to myself, You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, be merry. What do you notice about this man's response? It's all about himself. This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns. I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. A couple of pictures will help us understand how ridiculous it was to consider tearing down his barns just to build another one. So small and medium-sized landowners at this time could not afford to build or defend storehouses. So they would rent space in larger ones. And I think there's some pictures we have for those. So this is a picture from the top of the Masada. This would have been a royal palace, um, and it's in the desert. Um, The storehouses here would have been where they stored the food for when the royalty came and lived here. And if we look at the next picture, too, so that's a person, full-size person, standing at the back. You can see that these storehouses were made of stone. Can you imagine tearing this down just to build a bigger one? So the man in this parable Jesus is telling has a choice. But what's the opposite of greed? According to dictionary.com, there is actually only one antonym for greed, and that's generosity. Throughout scripture, we see characters who have had to make this choice. Some choose greed, like Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5. They sell a piece of property, um, but lie about the proceeds and are struck down dead. But more often, we see those who choose generosity. For example, Joseph, who even though his jealous brothers left him for dead in the pit of the wilderness, when they come to him in in the midst of a famine, he gives them food to eat. Or Boaz, who sees a foreigner gleaning in his fields, takes time to learn her story, 
provides generously for her and her widowed mother-in-law, and ultimately he redeems her. Or members of the early church in Acts 2, who sold property and possessions and gave to anyone who had need. Or the Philippian church, who Paul praises for giving aid as he set out from Macedonia and multiple times as he was in Thessalonica. These are all examples of scripture, of people who have chosen to live generously. So returning to the story Jesus is telling, we see that this parable concludes with a strong warning for the rich man. You fool, this very night your life will be demanded of you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? The rich man forgot who was ultimately in control, who had given him life, and who could take it away. All of life is a gift, and the man is declared a fool for forgetting. The man remembered the phrase from Ecclesiastes, relax, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself, but he forgot the second part of the phrase, for this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life, which God gives him under the sun. So let's one final time go back to the parable and see how Jesus summarizes it. Jesus closes the parable with this final wisdom saying, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Jesus is inviting the original petitioner, the man that was asking Jesus to enter into that inheritance dispute, to think about whose is the inheritance really. Whether it is his or his brothers, they are both responsible for how they live their lives and the wealth God gives them. So as we conclude, I believe we have some questions that we need to ask ourselves. First of all, do I really believe God is a generous God, a God of abundance, a God who will spare nothing, even his own son, the son who died on a cross so that we might have life? There's no generosity greater than this. If you've not said yes to follow Jesus, yes to God's abundant generosity, then I encourage you to say yes right now, and then tell someone, I chose to follow Jesus today. If you're unsure if God is generous, then I invite you to search the scriptures and ask God to show you who he really is. If you're unsure of where to start, then ask me or ask one of the pastors here at Hillcrest, because I know that they enjoy nothing more than getting into the word with someone who's truly seeking to know who God is. And if you say, yes, I do believe the abundance that I have comes from God, then ask yourself, what am I choosing to do with it? Where am I choosing to build a bigger barn? Where might I be tempted to hoard it for myself rather than see the needs around me? And finally, as a church, I challenge us to think about where are we choosing to build a bigger barn? I'm not saying that we should never save for the future. Remember, this was a rich man. But if we remember that it is God who gives abundantly, and ultimately we are just stewards, it's easy to be joyful givers. And to trust that God will continue to give abundantly in the future. And giving generously doesn't just mean financially. Your bank account might be almost empty, but God calls us to be generous with our time, our talents, and our relational energy. And a great example 
of this, um, who's going to be sharing with us now, is Lonnie Swanson. I think I'm on. <laughs> the scripture I um, felt like the Lord put on my heart this morning is Matthew 6.21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Generosity comes in many forms. The Lord has abundantly blessed us with a variety of gifts in this body. Sometimes it's writing checks, but many times it involves your time and unique abilities that he's designed and refined in you. I sometimes don't feel like giving, and I have a desire to want to just grip tight and control my time, my talents, and my treasures. My observation is that the transformation of our heart begins in the place of prayer. The Lord knows our selfish desires, and yet out of his mercy, he calls us the least likely to look like him and to carry his heart. One of my personal experiences involved our family spending many years praying together for a young girl who was in some challenging circumstances and progressively getting worse. Praying seems to some as the safe way to separate yourself from a situation and keep distance from involvement. But as I've learned over the years, this is the fastest way for the Lord to transform your heart, to carry his heart, and to put you in the middle of the situation that you're praying for. And oftentimes, you become the answer in, to prayer in that situation. The girl our family was praying for got into drugs, as we are seeing happen too many times these days. She had a child and dropped that child on her mom's doorstep. I agreed to babysit this baby boy and spent many hours praying over him the first year of his life. The girl proceeded to have another child a year later and drugged this baby around. It was a baby girl in the homeless culture in downtown Bellingham um, in, with all the meth users. And for eight months that happened until Child Protective Services was then able to take that child from her. At that time, we were asked to foster this baby girl. We agreed to take this on in our late 40s, and we moved through the process of fostering over a couple of years, and then we were able to adopt because the mom still wasn't clean. Also, during this foster experience, in the bigger picture, I pressed into praying for the needs in the foster system with the prayer team that I work with at Light of the World Prayer Center. And we released specific prayers to um, the prayer center network, which involves 35 churches that are praying in our city day and night. After several months of the citywide prayer focused on these specific issues, we watched the beginning of the Skookum House ministry come together here on Hillcrest property. And today, after two years since opening, Skookum has served over 300 children during the most traumatic time of their life as they enter the foster care system for the first time. In our personal story, 
the bio mother of our adopted child today is clean from heroin addiction, which is a miracle, and raising another child with a fiancé. We visit regularly as our family continues to pray and encourage them to join a church and pursue all that the Lord has for their family. The giving of our time, our talents, and our treasures is such a joy when we are carrying the heart of the Father. When we release what he's given us and give him the glory, he's able to do exceedingly more than we can ask or imagine. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I want to close um, in praying for us this morning. So if you'd join me. Lord Jesus, we thank you, God, that you are the abundant Father, that you own the cattle of a thousand hills, that you call us the weak vessels that you long to fill with your Holy Spirit. You call us uh, to carry your heart, God, for the lost, for the broken, Lord Jesus. So we ask this morning that you, God, would do a mighty work within us, Lord, if there's anything that's keeping us back, God, from fully saying yes to you in the areas that you're calling us, God. We ask that you would break those things off, Lord, that you would bring us into places of repentance and forgiveness, Lord, that you would lift our gaze to you, the Almighty, God, and you would fill us full, Lord God. We ask that you would stir up those dreams and visions, those things you've put on our lives, God, and that we uh, would lift our hands to heaven and say yes to you this morning. We thank you, we praise you, God, and we give you the glory. Amen. Thanks for connecting with Hillcrest Chapel. For more info on this and other sermons, go online to hillcrestchapel.com or visit us at 1400 Larrabee Ave in Bellingham, Washington any Sunday morning, 9 or 11 a.m.